Grateful to uh, have you here with us this morning. Uh, somebody is missing these. Do we have an owner? Ed. That was the first. <laughs> All right. So uh, some of the ladies in our church family have been uh, talking about the possibility of starting a, a ladies' Bible study. So if there's interest in that, uh, there'll be a meeting up here at the front after the service with Michelle Adams and Jess Shearzinger. So that's immediately following the service. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a new sermon series in the book of Genesis. So I think it's been quite a while since we've gone through the book of Genesis, but we're going to be doing Genesis 1 through 11, and the title of the series will be First Things. So obviously there's a lot of foundational truths there that will be, I think, a lot of fun for us to be working through. Uh, one other thing is if you are able to help out with child care ministry, we have a blessing in our uh, church family currently, and that is that we've had this influx of a lot of uh, preschool aged children. So I think last Sunday there were 15 kids back there. Uh, yeah, so we're grateful for that. But it creates issues, okay? So uh, Kristen Kara could use your help with that. So make sure you see her. I think next Sunday we'll try to have a sign-up sheet out. Uh, we, there's, I, I checked the Bible this morning. There's no spiritual gift for child care. Uh, so that's not a requirement. If you can uh, help us out with kids and love kids and provide a service for the parents, uh, it's an opportunity to serve in our church family. So I uh, would encourage you to either reach out to uh, Christian Kara or uh, sign up on the sheet next Sunday morning. I spoke with uh, Clyde Sosnovic this morning who was with us. Clyde, we're grateful to have you here. And his wife, Rita, is doing well. She's now able to get outside and walk around more. So very, very grateful for that. And then Dan Slack has uh, been involved with physical therapy now and starting to make a lot of progress. So uh, grateful, Dan, for the progress that God is giving to you. Okay. So we praise God for that. Okay. I want to ask you to stand with me and uh, we're going to join our hearts in prayer and then enter into our season of worship and song this morning. Father, as we come into your presence this morning, we are just mindful of your glory, uh, of your greatness. And uh, often, God, we take that for granted, and we're not moved and affected by it. So your word tells us that the heavens declare your glory, and the firmament shows your handiwork. Everything around us is declaring and glorifying God. And so this morning, Lord, as we come and join our hearts together corporately in worship, and as we add together our voices according to the directive of your word to sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord. Lord, everything we desire to do this morning moves in your direction because you are worthy. And we pray that you will fill our hearts with a, that by your spirit, with a true sense of your presence that overwhelms and changes us. As James comes this morning to preach your word, God, we so desperately need to hear from you. And I trust that the truth of your word this morning will minister to our hearts in ways that we didn't even imagine this morning. We come, Lord, with uh, various hurts, with various concerns, with various joys. And we ask that you will meet us here. God, you know our need. 
Thank you for the progress that Rita and Dan are both experiencing following open heart surgery. God, we're grateful for the preservation of life and for the blessings that you are bringing uh, to these friends of ours. We continue to lift up Linda and Diana and others, God, within our church family that have struggled for a long time. Simple, simple request, God, and that is, that is that you would move and that you would heal and that you would raise them up and make them strong and useful for your glory. We pray that. And for the heart here this morning, Lord, that is deeply troubled, that's looking for comfort, that's, that has deep needs, as we worship in song and word, God, do by your spirit what you do best. Meet us this morning and change us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him. sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is a failing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You lay down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for you've done for me who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king of all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my King who conquered the grave, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King. 
king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You
the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth a glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me Oh, praise the name 
the third at break of dawn the son of heaven rose again oh trample death where is your sting the angels roar for Christ the Let's continue our worship and prayer now. Oh Lord, you know that we are a community of imperfect people, 
I, the most imperfect of them all. But you, Lord, also know that we seek to worship a perfect God. And you, Lord, have allowed and provided for us to believe and know that through your grace, we will always be with you now and forever through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross as our Savior. Our Father in heaven, glorious Spirit, Son of God, we know, we know, Lord, that we are laid up with many infirmities today and laid up with many of our inequities overwhelming us. But Lord, we also know that while we rest steadfast in our faith of you, we are laid up in your safety, in the safety of your arms and in your love for us, your undeniable love for us and for your forgiveness that you've granted to us for all of our sins. For you, when you went to the cross, O Lord, had all of our inequities, all of our infirmities laid upon you and we look forward to the day when we will be with you in heaven forevermore. But now, Lord, you know that we are buffeted by all kinds of stresses, challenges, scoffers, mockers, all of that. But we know that if we remain steadfast in your love during this unsteady time, you are faithful to rescue us from all of this and to persevere with us during all these challenges while you make us perfect over time in your name through the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we ask that you would glorify your name through the continuing worship that we have for you with the word of God. And we ask these things now that you would bless all of this assembly who has come here to worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is the word of God written in the book of Jude, verses 17 through 25. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Uh, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And for the rest of you, keep your Bibles open there at the book of Jude. I, I, I cannot believe... I don't even know how many months it's been. We started this journey uh, a lot of months ago in 1 Peter. 
went through First Peter, Second Peter, and now through the book of Jude in the um, series entitled Steadfast Living in an Unsteady World. And hopefully you've been able to see that as Peter wrote uh, those two books and as Jude wrote this book, uh, they were speaking 2,000 years ago, but by God's sovereign grace, they speak to us today and the cultures that we are going through, the difficulties that we're going through today. Uh, it talks often in those books about last days, and you wonder about last days because it's been 2,000 years. It's like, how long is this last days? And the reality is last days goes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the return of Jesus Christ. And it seems like 2,000 years, but that's nothing in time and eternity. Uh, so we're, we're living in these last days. And as you see, there are ebbs and flows. As you know, human history, I mean, I, I like studying history. And as you see human history, there are ebbs and flows that happen. Uh, where greater levels of evil or greater levels of satanic um, activity is more and more apparent. And we may be seeing more of that in our culture today. Um, I don't know if this is the last of the last days, but it clearly is a divisive day that we're living in. And the world that we live in is pretty fragmented. The world that we're living in is pretty polarized. And there is a, a voice of skepticism and, and division that is in the world. All you need to do is just turn on a radio station or turn on the TV and you will see it. And the division seems to be growing louder and louder each day, yet the Bible offers us timeless truths. These timeless truths uh, urge us to remember the truth, the real truth, the foundational truth, the faith. And as we stand at the crossroads between history and prophecy today, I want you to know that you can navigate through these times, through these challenging times, applying the truths of 1 Peter, applying the truths of 2 Peter, and also applying these truths that from the book of Jude. Now, this small little book, it's brief, 25 verses, is powerful because it speaks to the chaos and the confusion that is around us and the certainty that we can have within us. And I love this word that he uses in the book, beloved. I want you to think about this because the world hates you, hates Christ, and it hates anything that stands, anyone that stands for Christ. But over and over again, scripture is beckoning you to remind yourself of the fact that you are beloved. And as you go through this, I want you to be not merely a hearer of God's word, I want you to be a doer of God's word. And that is really what um, Jude is going to do. Um, as Pastor Doug and Pastor Tim got an opportunity to kind of lay a foundation of the false teaching and the struggles and contending for the faith and the false teachers that are out there, now I get the opportunity to teach to you about practical theology. How do you take that theology and make it practical? How do you live in this divisive time? I want you to know that you can rest assured, as you heard uh, Steve read those last two verses, it talks about an assurance that you and I can have as we live in desperately difficult and challenging times. See, the more that you know the faith, and the more that you're grounded in the faith, and the more that the faith lives in you and comes out of you, that is hope for you, but it's also hope for those that are living in dark and dreadful times today. They lack hope, they lack peace, they lack joy, they lack contentment. The very things that are here that are promised for you as believers are the very things that you have that the world desperately needs. And and what Jude is concerned about is this, that people are going to get corrupted by false teachers that may slip into the church, take you off track, and cause you to lose the hope that the world desperately needs. And if you lose the hope, then you won't be able to speak that hope to the world. 
Now let's just kind of go back and do a quick Eagle's Eye review just so we kind of get the context. If you remember verses 1 through 4, Pastor Doug preached that section. Primarily Jude tells you who he is. He sees himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't see himself as the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have elevated himself that way. He did not. He says, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he did say, I'm, I'm a brother of James, James, who wrote the book of James. And he talked about, you need to contend earnestly for the faith. And if you remember here, he talked about three things, and we'll come back to them in a moment. Uh, you're called, you're beloved, and you are kept. These are really essential when you start to think about the ending of this book. God called you out of darkness into, his relation, into a relationship with him. He loves you with an everlasting love. The very love that he has for his son, he has poured out to his Christians, and he has kept you. He secures you. You may feel insecure internally, but your salvation is absolutely and totally secure. So he tells just that. And then Pastor Tim got an opportunity to talk to us about some of these false teachers at the end of Pastor Doug's sermon and then into Pastor Tim's sermon, that these false teachers that have crept into the church. And he gave some historical reminders of things that have happened in the past, that this is not just happening in Jude's time. This is happening, this happened throughout Scripture, and it's happening even today. And he gives these false teachers that are examples, and gives the example of Cain and Balaam and, and Korah. And as he was talking about these rebellions that had happened before, he talks about the judgment that had come upon them. And so what he's doing is he's wanting you to remember that what you're going through is not unlike everything else that other people do. It's, it's kind of like in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. There's a commonality to the struggles. You're not alone. One of the things that Satan wants you to believe is that you are completely and totally alone. You are not. You are part of a group that is struggling against the same battles, the same evil demons, and the same struggle that you have with your flesh. Now, Jude tends to write in these triads. He, he likes putting things in threes. As we already said, he calls you that you, your identity in Christ is that you're called, you're beloved, and you're kept. He also said in verse two, triad as well, he said, mercy, peace, and love. He talked about the uh, ungodly behavior of these um, false teachers. He said they were defiling the flesh, they're rejecting authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. He likes um, speaking in threes. He talked about Cain, and he talked about Balaam, and he talked about Korah. He, he talked about the, the ungodly characteristics. He talked about grumblers, malcontents, and sinful desires. He has this tendency to talk in threes. He will do the same thing now as we go into the spiritual growth. As you, how do you live out this life? He talks in threes as well. He talks about building up your faith. He talks about praying. He talks about keeping. I'll get into that in a moment. So four steps in the sermon this morning, four steps, four phrases that you can remember. So the first one is to remember. Uh, that takes up verses 17 through 19. He wants you to remember the apostolic predictions. He wants you to remember what the apostles said. That's so important. We need to remember. Uh, the second is going to be, the second phase of our sermon this morning is going to reaffirm reaffirm. You need to build up in your faith. And it's interesting that we're going to talk about the work that you need to do to build up your faith. Um, so remember, reaffirm. The third word that we're going to talk about today is to rescue. 
you were called to rescue people that are in desperate need. And that rescue, you need to respond to those that are lost and maybe even those that are believers but are struggling. We are called to seek to rescue. And the last word that I want you to think about, remember, reaffirm, rescue, and then rest assured. I want you to feel confident. Rest assured that God can keep you through all the struggles. Remember, reaffirm, rescue, and rest assured. Let me pray as we begin our message today. So, Lord, I pray that you would remind us to remember. Father, in the Old Testament, you would tell them to put memorial stones down to remember what you've done. When they crossed the Red Sea, Lord, you told them to remember. And constantly you tell us to store your word in our hearts so that we can remember. So, Father, we tend to forget the things we should remember, and we tend to remember the things we should forget. Help us to remember. Help us to reaffirm, Lord. By the power of your spirit, Father, not only has he regenerated us that are in Christ and called us and adopted us and done all those wonderful things, but he has given us the power to become more and more like your son. So, Father, help us to reaffirm the truths of the gospel and help us to grow, Lord, as we take step by step to grow in your faith. And, Father, I thank you for the fact that you give us the opportunity to be ministers of reconciliation, rescuers out there to those that are in desperate need of Christ. And then, Father, help us to be rest assured um, that we stand in your Son, in his grace, for his glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So let's uh, start. We are living in a time where we are in a desperate need for discernment. And discernment is so important. Discernment is interesting because the word discern in the, um, in the Greek actually means to distinguish, to separate out, um, to know truth. And those are desperate needs for us as believers. We are living in a time where truth is called wrong and wrong is called truth. So we need to know the truth, the ultimate truth of salvation if we're ever going to grow forward. A discerning mind demonstrates wisdom and in insight that goes beyond what you see and what you hear. You need to be spiritually discerning in life. You need to be able to hear with your ear and see with your eyes and to interpret and say, this is right and this is wrong. A discerning person knows God's word. And if you remember when Solomon was asked for whatever you want, he says, I want wisdom. In essence, I want discernment. I want to know how to live in this life and I want to know how to lead your people well. And Solomon got that wisdom in discernment until, if you're a member, he had a number of people, wives and concubine, that came into his life that led him astray for a period of time. And when we got a chance to preach the Ezekiel, um, Ecclesiastes, we heard his life stories of the struggles that he goes through and he went through. And you and I do the same thing. If we allow the wrong person into our lives, wrong people into our lives, they can take us off course. You've heard me say this before. Whoever has your ear affects your mind. Whoever affects your mind can influence your heart. And whoever influences your heart can influence your life. So you need to be very careful what you take into your ears and into your mind and into your heart because that will create the direction for your life. Paul was talking about this concern for people, his bride being led astray in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. 
He said this, he's, he's like a father that brought his daughter down the aisle to this guy, and the bride that he's bringing down is the church, and the guy that he's bringing them to is the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts are being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For someone comes in and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And what Paul was saying is that his church, his bride, the bride that was being distracted and led astray by this false teacher coming in, and they were afraid afraid that they were going to be dragged away from Christ. And I wonder, question for you, and question I have to think about is this, how are we far too tolerant of error in our world? I think the more and more, as, as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that they're tolerant of error outside, but the question is, are we finding ourselves more and more tolerant of error? And we make excuses for error, and we're afraid to stand up against error. And Jude is saying you need to be able to contend earnestly for the faith. And some of us, sad to say, are finding ourselves struggling with a lack of discernment. And when we struggle with a lack of discernment, we struggle. So let's go to the first word, remember, verses 17 through 19. 17 through 19, he tells us that you need to remember, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle or Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own godly, ungodly passions. I find it interesting that he begins this section with, but you. Now, most of us in Christianity tend to think it's not about me, it's about God. Actually, right? You know, it's like, no, God, you need to change me. You need to do all of these things in me. And that is true. Your salvation was a but God. You know, back in Ephesians chapter 2, we preached through this as well. Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all of you were once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and mind, and were by children, I'm sorry, by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And here's two beautiful words, but God. In light of the, the darkness and the sin and the depravity and the, and the guilt and the condemnation that we felt outside of Christ, God comes in and invades our lives, invades the world through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together in Christ, for by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that at the coming age he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as the result of works, so no one will boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. 
he says this salvation, this great salvation that you need to know, this gospel message that you desperately need to know, you desperately need to know the gospel, that there is a creator God who's holy, and you have fallen away from that creator God. Our foreparents, Adam and Eve, fell away from that creator God. You, as part of their lineage, have fallen away from that creator God, that holy God. You are unholy against a holy God. All of us will stand before God, and God, in his sovereignty and his grace, before you had ever sinned, before this world was ever created, he had planned, the triune God had planned to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a righteous life and a perfect life, and to die a substitutionary death, so that if you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can get that status of holiness, and you can get greater than that, become part of his family again, and of eternity with him. That is the gospel that you need to hold on to. And he's saying, you need to remember the apostolic teaching of the gospel. But I think he's going even further than just the apostolic teaching. He is saying that you need to remember that false teachers are going to come in. Paul predicted this, if you remember in Acts chapter 20, just as he's getting ready to leave, he's predicting that these false teachers come in. In verse 29 and 30 of Acts 20, he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul also said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So what we need to remember is the apostolic teaching of the gospel. We also need to remember the apostolic warning that false teachers are going to come into your church. I turn on stations that are supposedly Christian stations today, Christian pastors today that are preaching godlessness, preaching worldliness, preaching error, and Christian after Christian is hearing this and believing it is to be the truth because they are not discerning what is being said versus what God's word is saying. And what Jude is arguing, what Doug and Tim and I are arguing is that we desperately need you to know God's word, believe God's word, trust God's word, and use it as a filter in your life to deal with the errors that are out there because you can get sucked in very easily. He says here that these men are teaching false things and they're following their own passions. If, if you notice, these, these scoffers are coming in and what they're doing is they're invading the church and they are follow, they're scoffers that follow their own passions. We'll start with the following their own passions. It's all about emotions, all about experience, it's all about them. It's not about the grounding objective word, it's all about subjectivity. And churches today are driven by emotions and experience rather than the exposition of God's word. It's all about what you feel and how you feel, and that's just baloney because God has exposited in his word. He's given you in his word what is the truth. Your feelings are easily deceptive. My feelings go up and down in a moment's notice. Your feelings need to be filtered through the word of God that is the grounding element of your life. 
but he calls them scoffers, which is interesting. Peter used the same word back in 2 Peter, I think I actually preached this one, on the fact that they were scoffers, scoffers who scoff, which is interesting. They are mockers. They mocked the return of Jesus in 2 Peter, and now they're mocking the law of God here. These mockers, these scoffers, don't want to be accountable to the return of Christ, and they clearly don't want to be accountable to God's word. So what do they do? They mock you for believing in the return of Christ or in the word of God. And what these scoffers do is they sow seeds of discord. They sow seeds of doubt. They sow seeds of distrust. They sow seeds of discontentment. And what we find within Christian churches at times is even within Christian families is that this, this doubt, I don't trust you, I doubt you, I doubt you, I doubt the word, this discord, this brokenness that is happening, what God wants to bring together and reconciling, Satan wants to tear apart, and that's what scoffers do. Scoffers sow those seeds so that you can tell that if you are going down a greater path of distrust and discord and discontentment in your life, I would urge you to go back to the gospel word so that you can have some level of confidence in your life. But that's what these false teachers did. They were ungodly, verse 4. They were morally perverted. In verse 4, it tells us they denied Christ. In verse 8, it tells us that they relied on dreams. They defiled the flesh. They rejected authority. They blasphemed. In verse 10, it tells us that they were unreasoning. Verse 16, it tells us that they were grumblers and malcontents and following their sinful desires, loudmouth boasters. They're also showing favoritism, and now in verse 18, we see that they're mockers. These are the characteristics of those that are leading people astray. But of course, Jude doesn't end. He has to give you three more things about them. They are divisive, they're worldly, and they're devoid of the spirit. They cause division. And the, the angst and the discord that happens, when you find yourself fighting against another believer, I would urge you to recognize that more often than not, that's probably coming from the flesh and not coming from God. God wants us to challenge each other. God wants us to uh, challenge each other so that we can grow and disciple one another, absolutely. But when there's discord and disharmony and dissatisfaction in life, more often than not, there is something that is fleshly that is happening within. That's the divisions that these false teachers are doing. But they're worldly people. I've often said to you that there are people that are more looking like the world than the word. If that person's life is looking more like the world, you know, they can go on Oprah and Oprah loves them. If they can go on these reality shows and they love them, you can tell that this pastor is offline because they should not be New York Times bestsellers where everybody in the world loves their books if they are preaching the gospel because the gospel is divisive. The cross is offensive. And so when we are listening to leaders that create division, and are more looking like the world than the word, we know we're off track. But there's a third thing. They're devoid of the spirit. They are physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. There's nothing there. Kind of like the Ephesians passage, verses 1 through 3, they're there. And sad to say, they're under the wrath of God. They may be thinking they're believers, but they're not. And those that are believers are being led astray by these leaders. So he says, I need you to remember, I need you to remember the gospel, I need you to remember the apostolic warning that false teachers will creep in. But the second word he wants you to do is to reaffirm, verses 20 through 21. He says, I want you to reaffirm, I want you to build up your faith. And 
he, he starts with this but you. Now, he, he started with the but you in the beginning of verse 17, but you, and now he's going back to but you. Salvation, I believe, is absolutely monergistic. It means that God solely chose you. He elected you from all of eternity if you were in Christ. He chose you. He was the one that started your salvation. He regenerated you. He opened your eyes. He caused you to be born again. All of that is because of him. My salvation, your salvation rests on God alone. But there's the next part. Yes, you've been called, elected, regenerated, justified, adopted. All of that is what we'll call monergistic. One energy, one force, God alone. But there's a synergistic portion to your life, and that's after your salvation, where you are working in conjunction with God. The Holy Spirit comes into your life so that you can grow in the faith. That same Holy Spirit that caused you to be born again is the same Holy Spirit that is working in your life so that you look more and more like Christ. You're given a position of holiness over here, but practically I'm unholy. And what God is doing is that he wants to work in your life so that you look more and more like Christ. And that is that position, that practical thing that you need to do. But you, and if you're going to grow in your faith, it's not just sitting down waiting for God to zap this verse into your mind so that you can understand this verse, so that you can apply this verse. You need to study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to get to work. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, work upon me, upon you, and learn from me. You need to get to work, and that's what um, Jude is arguing here. You need to reform your faith. You need to build up your faith. And he uses a triad again. He tells you that you need to build, you need to pray, and you need to wait. Those three things. Build. He says, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith. So he starts with the first one. You need to be building. You need to not be sitting back on your seat and doing nothing. You need to be active. Christianity is active. It's not passive. God has done a work in you. Now he wants to do a work through you, and you are obligated to get to work and do that. That means you need to read the word. You need to, it's great to hear about a Bible study that is starting. We have various Bible studies that are here in this church. Be involved in, the, in those Bible studies. It was so cool to be able to walk in, into the marriage group this morning. We had a room full there and then walk back on uh, the other study and a room full over there. I don't know, 50 or more people in those two rooms. Praise the Lord. We can even have more. And so come and hear God's word, learn God's word, study God's word. It's so important. And you need to be growing doctrinally. The world tells you, and maybe even some Christians tell you that doctrine is bad. I think that's a lie. I think doctrine is, is life. I think that being able to know the truth will help you to live the truth. You need to know what you believe so that you know why you believe it. You need to know both of those things. And I know in the apologetics course, that's probably what they're doing, teaching you truths and teaching you what they are and teaching you why you should believe that. And in the marriage group, we're doing the same thing. We're trying to teach you the truths of God's word and teach you how to apply that into God's word. And that's what, Lord willing, what we do every Sunday when we get into this pulpit. You need to grow doctrinally strong. I love systematic theologies where you are going to learn about doctrines. One of the most precious doctrines to me is the doctrine of justification. You know, I, I could struggle at times with feeling condemned and, you know, reminding myself day after day of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation that God looks at me in light of the perfect and righteous life of Christ. 
I love the doctrine of adoption. That God, I was separated from him and he brought me into his family. I am his own. I love that doctrine. I love that doctrine. I love the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. You'll see that in a moment. Election, that you are going to be firm, that God called you and he's going to hold you. These are all precious doctrines that you need to know not just in your mind, you need to know them in your heart so that you can have freedom in life. But the the second thing he tells us is not just building yourself up doctrinally, you need to be praying. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. I don't believe this is charismatic. I don't think he's talking about speaking in tongues or anything here. I think what he's saying here is this. I think what he's saying is that you need to be persevering in prayer. And prayer is probably one of the most underutilized tools in the Christian arsenal. We just do not pray. And the sad reality is that um, prayer has just been devoid in so many Christian lives and Christian churches. I know that when these small groups get together, they pray for one another. I, I, I appreciate it to see my wife back there. I, I appreciate that you are, you've prayed for my family um, and you've prayed for those that are in this congregation. I, it is desperate and God does amazing things through prayer. He, he can bring about healing and restoration. Sometimes he chooses not to. And that's part of prayer as well. If he chooses not to, he'll give you the strength to endure that trouble or trial. But prayer is is so very important. We need to persevere in prayer. It's so important in our lives. But then he says a third thing. It's not just growing doctrinally. It's not preserving in prayer. We need to wait. Some of us hate to wait. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. So if you want to reaffirm your faith, you need to be waiting. And waiting means to wait with an eager anticipation, an expectation. And what are we expecting? We're expecting Christ's return. As as this world is chaotic and confusing, you could look and say, God, I know you're coming back. And, And let me plant seeds until you come back. And let me see if I can grab another person to take with us to eternity until you come back. And you're waiting with the hope of what's going to happen, that the craziness that is happening around here, you know that's not lasting because Jesus says, I will make all things new. And so I can have a confidence that this world, as crazy and as chaotic as as it is, that is not what my eternity is. And that's not what your eternity is in Christ. So you wait, but you wait with an eager expectation and you get to work. You get to work growing and building and praying and waiting, building and working and praying over and over again. I love this. Um, I skipped over the word beloved. I said earlier that the world hates you, and I called this sermon title, God's Keeping Power in a Divisive Age. The world is going to hate you. In fact, the world's going to think that you're unloving, that you're bigoted, you're prejudicial, you're arrogant, you're stupid. I mean, all of these words that the world will say about you. And sometimes, if you and I really long for people to accept you, then when the world rejects you, that's gonna be hard. And that's why you need to remind yourself day after day that God loves you. You're beloved. You're precious in his sight. Not precious because of anything in me, because really there's nothing in me. You're precious because you have been purchased by the precious blood of the ultimately loved son. And that love that God had, the father has for that ultimately loved son has now been poured out to every one of his believers. You're loved. 
You're accepted. You are totally secure in Christ. So as you go in through this divisive world, remind yourself to build, to pray, to wait, to reaffirm the faith. He moves us to our next word, rescue. So not only do I need to remember the gospel truth and remember that there are evil people out there, and not only do I have to reaffirm my faith by building up myself doctrinally and by praying in perseverance and then waiting with eager anticipation, I need to rescue people. God has you for a mission. The reason why you are here is on a rescue mission. Whether you go to a foreign land or you go to the person next door or the person in your home, we are called to live gospel and to speak gospel in our lives. And there are three people I think he's talking about here. The first one is the doubters, those who doubt. And maybe I'm looking at some that are here in this room. Those who, who doubt what's going on, he says here in verse 22, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. And I, I think there are a couple of doubters. The first one here... <coughs> Excuse me. The first one here is I think that there are some people that are pretty confused and they struggle. Excuse me. They have a general sense of who God is. They believe that there is a God, but then they get confused and they get confused doctrinally and they allow things to come in and they, they wrestle with needing clarity. And they find themselves kind of like unstable. James kind of talked about that in James chapter 1. He says that, you know, a double-minded person is unstable in all that they do. They kind of got a foot in the world, and they foot in God, and they find themselves feeling unstable in life. I think there are, there are probably some here that are here that struggle in that way. And for those of us that are stronger in Christ... We need to, as Galatians 6 talked about, we need to be gentle and caring. We need to be kind as we approach them. Know the truth, but do it in a merciful way. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that Jesus dwelt with them, and he was a man full of grace and full of truth. And I think that's what Jude is getting at here, that there are doubters that are there, but what you need to do is that show them grace, but tell them the truth. Show them grace and tell them the truth. You have been mercied by God. Now show mercy to them. Rescue them. And how do you rescue them? You rescue them by walking them back to gospel grace. Bring them back to the cross. Bring them back to truth. Teach them the doctrines that God has been teaching you. And pray for them and wait for God to do a rescue mission in their lives. Because it's God that's going to ultimately do the work in you and then through you. But there's a second group of people that I think he's talking about here. It's not just those who doubt. He says, have mercy on those who doubt, verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think that there are some people that are on the path to doom. They're doubters, yes, but then there's some people that are on the path to doom. They're on the brink. And they're very close to the fire. They're very close to a struggle here. They're very close to being removed. And it's almost like you see something. Uh, I think it was in Hawaii. I saw a person that was driving down the road and they were having the fires and they were driving down the road and they saw a fire that had happened in the bush in front of somebody's house. And the wife pulled over and the guy jumped out of the car and he went over and got a hose and he started to um, 
take care of the fire to protect this other person's house. It's not even his house. He saw the danger that was there of a house, and he saw that that danger, that fire, could take over that house. So what did he do? He jumped out of his car to try to deal with that fire. On a spiritual level, there are people on a grand path, a broad path to a greater fire. And the question is, that guy got jumped out of the car to rescue a home. How many of us jump out to rescue a person? And that's what I think Jude is getting at. Snatch other people out of the fire. You know, that thing could, they could fall into hell right now. Grab them. Do whatever you can to keep them from falling away. Now, ultimately, as I said, I believe so, um, salvation is completely monergistic. God has to do some, the work in them. I can't do that. Tim, Doug, and I cannot do that by just preaching the word. But through preaching the word and loving them, God can do an amazing thing in their lives. And I don't know what happens because they then make a decision for Christ. I don't know how it all works, but I do know this, that my job and our job is to tell them truth, and your job is to tell them truth. And so there are some people that are doubters, there's some people that are doomed, but there's a third group of people that are absolutely defiled. He says here that... Have mercy on those who doubt, save others, doomed, that are snatching them out of the fire, and to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained with the flesh. I think it's a third group of people, I'm not positive. I think this person has become so divisive, and they've become so defiled, and they have given themselves into a lifestyle that is just wrong and godless. They firmly believed these worldly lies. They firmly believed these things, and they have been dragged away. And you need to be very careful. I think when he's talking about fear here is that you need to be mindful to reverence God as you go into it because I don't want to be too gross, but I think he's talking about stained garments. It's like stained um, soiled underwear. Nobody wants to pick up somebody else's soiled underwear because we're afraid that it's going to get on us, Okay. You need to be very careful when you are dealing with somebody that is in this defiled place that when you're going, you approach them with care and concern, but you need to be mindful that you don't want that thing rubbing off on you because they have been dragged down. I was saying to my um, Bible students um, recently that life is almost like walking a tightrope, and the greater likelihood is that is the greater likelihood that you're going to pull somebody up onto the tightrope of holiness, or is the greater likelihood that they're going to pull you down off the tightrope of holiness? And the reality is, is that the greater likelihood is they're going to pull you down off the tightrope of holiness. That doesn't mean that we don't try to pull people up, but you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, by applying his words, by applying the means of grace. Okay, so we need to remember, we need to reaffirm, we need to rescue, and then finally, we need to be rest, have rest assured. Be rest assured. Be assured of God's keeping power. I love this passage. What an amazing passage I get to preach. Now to him, it's all to his glory, who is able, he's sufficient, he's sovereign, he's providential, and to keep you. It's interesting that I said earlier that I think it was Pastor Doug's section where God called you, he loved you, and he kept you. So he starts with the beginning of the book that way, and what does he do at the end? He calls you, he loves you, and he keeps you. God preserves his people. 
I sit down with people week after week and decades of counseling, and there's so many people that struggle with the assurance of their salvation. They live their lives as, oh, as though one little sin on their part is going to cause the sovereign grace of God to be gone. And there's some religions out there that basically teach that if you, you commit a moral sin, a mortal sin, that you are going to all of a sudden lose your salvation. And that, or that some sin that God was not aware of when Christ died 2,000 years ago, which challenges doctrine. God knows all things, right? So God knows every sin that you've ever committed. And when his son 2,000 years ago died on the cross, he paid in total. The debt was canceled, as Paul said in Colossians. It has been ripped it's done. There is no more I owe you. You can't pay him back. He's paid it all for you. Jesus, what did? Not paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but Christ has washed it white as snow. He's able to keep you. He's able to preserve you. Don't let the world take you off course. Don't let the world cause doubt and confusion in your lives. That this doctrine, this beautiful doctrine of perseverance, that God regenerated you. And, and Paul told us in Philippians, what God has begun this good work and he will keep you. Romans 8, if you struggle, I would encourage you to meditate on Romans 8, especially the end of it. That nothing will ever separate you from God's love. He will preserve you. Over and over again, let the truth of God's word keep you because Jesus said, no one will be able to snatch you out of my hand. None. I will lose none of them. Not one. God preserves his people, but God presents his people. I love this. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence with great joy. He presents like the bride comes down the aisle. Let me show you this is my bride. 31 years ago, there goes my bride down the aisle to me. I don't know why she would want to marry me, but she comes down the aisle to me. Greater than that, I don't know why in the world God would want us as a bride, but we walk down the aisle to our King Jesus. I love this, that we are blameless. There are themes here, I didn't have enough time to talk about it, but if you go back to Zechariah chapter three, there's a theme of a priest with a soiled garment and that garment has been removed and a clean garment has been there. Back into Genesis um, at the fall of creation, that when we fell, one of the things that God did was our nakedness, God covered us with the hide of some animal, I would assume. And so there was a death that symbolized the ultimate death and your unrighteous life has been covered by the perfectly righteous life of Christ. And when he presents you, he presents you clean and beautiful. And today I am not beautiful and I'm not clean practically. Positionally I am, practically I'm not. There is gonna be a time when you, if you know Christ, are not only positionally clean, but practically clean. You are beautiful in his sight, radiant in his sight. And the joy, the overwhelming joy that can be there in your life, the overwhelming joy that is the gospel becomes true in your life. Don't worry about the divisions. See Christ and let his joy so fill you. And if God can
can preserve you, and if God can present you, which he does, I should say that in the affirmative, he does preserve you, and he does present you in his glory with great joy, then God deserves our highest praise to him, the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all times, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. And amen. And so that's where Jude ends this book. He says, I can't help but praise you. And if you read through the New Testament, they get to these ends of doxology. My favorite book, Romans. Paul gets to the end of Romans 11, and he just bursts out in this hymn of doxology. When you start to remind yourself of your guilt, God's grace, it should lead to gratitude in your heart and life. It should lead to praise. It should lead to adoration. So this small book, it's a really brief letter. New Testament, it was penned by Jude. Talks about the historical events of the Old Testament, gives you examples. He emphasizes the judgment that is coming. He talked about the judgment that was there, and he talks about the judgment that's coming, and what he's trying to do is to encourage you as believers. He wants to encourage you to remain steadfast in the faith. Uphold the truths of the faith. Rest assured, God wants to preserve you. God wants to protect you. And you deserve, he deserves all the praise. And when you think about this series, I just want to close with some things that I learned from the series. I hope you did. I learned that the Christian life is a journey. It's characterized by trials and opposition. But it's within these trials that you have faith that can be re refined, and that faith will show itself to be genuine. I learned that false teaching and deceitful teachers are out there, and they're a recurring challenge. They were a challenge for Jude's people, they were an issue for Peter's people, they're an issue for ours as well. I reminded myself and I learned that our identity is that this is not our home. We're sojourners, we're exiles in this world. That's why it doesn't feel like home to us, it shouldn't feel like home to us. I was reminded through these series that the second coming of Jesus is both a hope and a level of accountability. That there's hope for us as believers, but we will stand and they will stand before a, a risen Savior, a resurrected Savior. I learned some principles as well from our study, perhaps you did, that holiness and godliness should be the mark of a believer's life. You should look different, we should look different. I learned that genuine love and hospitality and service are tangible ways that you express your faith. I learned as well that in facing sufferings and persecution, it's more vital than ever to hold fast to the truth, contend for the truth, and remain anchored in God's word. So important. I learned as leaders of the church, vocational leaders or non-vocational leaders, the elders that come up and read, the, the pastors that preach to you, we're gonna bear responsibility for your care. We need to be humble, we need to be integrate, and you need to as well submit to our leadership. I'll end with this. I, I love these precious promises I've learned from the series. One precious promise is God's sovereign care for you. 
He ensures you that trials have a purpose. They refine you. They change you. The promise that the ungodly will face judgment. They seem like they're winning today. They're not going to ultimately win. That's a precious promise. A promise to me as well is that God's power is at work in us. And that power guards us. Guards our faith and assures our salvation. What a precious promise. Two more. In my weakness, in your weakness, in your struggles, in your moments of doubt, you can be reminded that God will keep you. He'll keep you from stumbling. That you don't have to ever worry about falling away ultimately because God is the one that keeps you. And the last promise that I learned from our study is this. The enduring word of God, the truth of the gospel, the hope of Christ's return should be anchors for our lives. I loved this series. I loved hearing my brothers preach it. I loved getting a chance to preach it. I pray that more than just words that we spoke, that they would be truths that you're holding on to. Because those truths can give you steadiness in an unsteady world. So Lord, we praise you. And we thank you for your kind grace and your mercy. Father, I recognize that as I stand here and preach, there are, there are some people in this room that are doubters. Maybe they're believers and they're doubting, or maybe they're unbelievers and they're struggling with doubt. I don't know what it is. But, but Lord, for those that doubt, I pray that we would be merciful and gracious like your son was, full of grace, but help us to be people who can speak truth into their lives. Speak to them now by the Holy Spirit and give us opportunities to speak to them as well. Well, then, Father, there's a second group of people here that are on the path of doom. They're on a broad path to destruction. Jesus talked about that. The wide is the path that leads to, uh, narrow is the path that leads to life, and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many are on it. Father, I know that there are probably some people in this room that have never trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they are on a path to eternity outside of you. I pray that they would hear the warning, but I pray that they would also hear the merciful kindness from your word. And Lord, for those that are absolutely defiled, they've just given themselves headlong into it. The only one that's ever going to be able to rescue them is your Holy Spirit opening their eyes to see that son, your son. So open blind eyes today. You took Paul, Saul ready to imprison and kill Christians and you turned him radically. You took the brothers of Jesus Christ, James and Jude, who didn't even believe in him and opened their eyes and turned them to face so you could do that with the most radical rebel in this room. Do that in our lives. Do that through their lives and help us to bring glory, honor, majesty, and power to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast, he will hold
hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Is with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at God, we are so thankful for your keeping power that we just learned about. Lord, we want to remember your salvation plan. We want to re reaffirm Christ as our Savior. We want to rescue others through the way that we live and the example we show to others that they will accept Christ. And we are rest assured that you hold us fast. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>